I'm sure a lot of you guys are probably here for the title of the video, which is something to the effect of activist mommy comes unhinged about something. Uh, I basically just discovered activist mommy actually last week. I talked about uh, activist mommy's blog on my you on my podcast. And it was something about prayer in schools, I think, last week was something about prayer in schools. Give that a watch on YouTube or give the podcast a listen if you don't remember it. It was kind of interesting, I thought. So I figure, hey, why don't we take a look at this woman's Twitter account? Big mistake. Um, actually, it, it's, got, it's got a lot of debunking material, so it, it was not a mistake. It was a good decision, I think. So let's take a look at it and see what she's got to say. Illinois school votes to force female students to share a locker room with biological males. So I saw this tweet uh, by somebody on Twitter the other day. And uh, actually, you know what? Before I read the article, let me just pull my tweet up. This is the tweet that I sent. This guy, Jonathan Van Maren, I guess sent this big long tweet thread that basically says, take a minute and watch this. A teenage girl fighting tears because her school board ruled that bathrooms are open to anyone who identifies as a girl. She's terrified that a boy will see her naked and her privacy concerns are dismissed. She is collateral damage for trans activists. And he, like I said, he just went through the, like this big old tweet thread about how messed up it is that this girl has to go through all of this all this stuff. So let me actually just let me play like a short clip from this video here. I feel uncomfortable that um, my privacy is being invaded as I am a swimmer. I do change multiple times naked in front of the other students in the locker room. And um, I, I understand that the board has an obligation to all students, but um, I was hoping that they would go about this in a different way that would also accommodate, accommodate students such as myself. All right, that's the clip from the girl who was like super upset over this whole situation um, that now she has to change. She she doesn't know how to change in the locker room with uh, a trans person in there. It bothers her. So let me just read the response tweet that I gave to this. I said, when I got baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, I went to change to my swim stuff and I was uncomfortable changing in front of a bunch of 60-year-old dudes. You know what I did? I went to a stall and changed. Your life isn't impacted that much. The trans student's life is. Stop thinking about yourself for 15 seconds and realize how easy it is to accommodate such a simple, straightforward change for somebody who needs it. So that's that's kind of where I fall on this whole situation, just uh, right out of the gate. That's my position on it. It's obnoxious to me that this girl is having such an issue with the fact that she has to go to a stall to change clothes. What about somebody else in the comments, actually, in the, like the Twitter comments, brought up another point. Do you think that there aren't lesbian and bi girls in the locker room with you? You're changing in front of all of these people. You think that they're, I mean, 10% of the population is part of the LGBT community. 
it's not just trans people that are in the in the locker room with you. You don't have a problem with that. What is your problem? What's the issue here? Why are you having an issue with changing? If you don't have an issue changing in front of lesbians, then what's your problem with changing in, in front of trans people? As though trans people are even attracted to girls by default. Uh, this is just an uh, obnoxious joke to me. Like, this girl can't manage to stop thinking about herself for 15 seconds. Seriously. What's the problem with going to the bathroom or going to the stall to change? What's the big issue with that? And why do you want to seriously impact this, this, this girl's life, this trans girl's life, by trying to prevent her from living it like a normal human lives? Like, you're trying to make her life more difficult to accommodate your wants and needs. So let's let, just, with that context, let's give this blog article a read by Activist Mommy, see what it has to say. A years-long battle over transgender rights, quote-unquote, at an Illinois school district has come to a bitter end. Last week, the board of Cook County's District 211 voted 5-2 to allow gender-confused students, gender-confused students, at Palatine High School to use the bathroom and locker room that corresponds to their gender identity, quote-unquote. She put that one in quotes. The school's new policy, according to the Daily Herald, declares that students shall be treated and supported in a manner consistent with their gender identity, which shall include students having access to restrooms and locker rooms that correspond to their gender identity. Let me tell you guys this story. I'm not going to name names or anything because I don't know that the person would want to be outed, but there's somebody in my family who is trans. As a result, I, I've been like very heavily invested in watching things happen in their life and watching how people treat them since they came out with this information. She told me that she has trouble taking a shower. She can't stand to take a shower because she is faced with her body as opposed to what, what she actually is. That's the kind of thing that you're dealing with. That's the kind of thing that trans people deal with every day. I know of people who have literally tried to cut pieces of themselves off because they can't deal with the fact that they aren't displaying as who they actually are. And activist mommy here is doing her damnedest to make this out to be like some kind of a joke. Like these people are just, well, one day I wake up and I feel this way. That's not what it is. These people are having an experience that she's trying to delegitimize. And that this girl obviously doesn't care about it at all. Doesn't give a shit about what's happening with this other girl, with this trans girl. She only gives a shit about herself. The policy is largely the product of the efforts of Nova Mayday, or Nova Mayday, a transgender girl, quote unquote girl. Again, delegitimizing. She's a girl. I don't understand why that's so hard to wrap your head around. Why do you give a shit what other people are doing? Just stay in your own lane, and if you don't like what's happening, then ignore it. Nobody's expecting you 
to be transgender. This person is transgender. This person is a girl. You don't have to delegitimize their life and their identity and their experience because you don't like it. It's like Elizabeth Warren fairly recently was asked a question on the campaign trail. If someone came up to you and told you that they don't believe in gay marriage, they don't think that people should be getting married who are the same sex, what would you say? And Elizabeth Warren's answer was something like, that's fine, you go ahead and marry a woman. I'm not asking you to get gay married. And that, that really goes to the heart of the entire issue, doesn't it? Why is it any of your business what, what these people are doing in their lives? It's none of your business. Just stay out of it and let them live the life that they live. Like you don't have to delegitimize them. You don't have to attack them. You don't have to act the way you do toward them. You don't have to make their life harder for no reason. The policy is largely the product of the efforts of Nova Midday, a transgender girl, i.e. biological male, again, delegitimizing, who, according to Women Are Human, sued the district back in 2017 for the right to use girls' restrooms and locker rooms. At the time, the school provided Midday, now 19, a private stall in which to change, but he, again, calling this girl he, delegitimizing, but he still felt separated and ostracized for being transgender, which he, he considered an embarrassing violation of my privacy. I'm just like every other girl. I just want to use the locker room. There's nothing different about me, Midday said of the case before procuring representation from the Illinois ACLU. Palatine's biology classes leave something to be desired. Now, with unbearable irony, Palatine's actual female students, delegitimizing still, have lost all rights to privacy in order to appease people like Midday. Now, they haven't lost the right to privacy. They can go to a stall just like they used to. I, I'm seriously, I don't understand what privacy has to do with this whole thing. Like I said before, aren't there like people in there already who are sexually attracted to girls as though being sexually attracted to a girl is an inherent part of being trans that's just not the case like i i'm not understand like there there's nothing about this situation that logically follows it's like this woman is just spouting off the most mindless nonsense nearly 500 residents including Midday and ACLU spokesperson Edwin Yonka attended the board vote, and after a proposal to let the community vote on the policy change in a district-wide referendum. After the vote, Madej told the Herald he was ecstatic about the step forward in progress. Exactly. Only one dissenting student, Julia Burka, was interviewed by the Herald, but her brief statement speaks volumes on the matter. That's the girl we just saw a minute ago, saying she can't be bothered to go to a stall and change because... I guess she's unaware that there are already people in that locker room who are, who are sexually attracted to girls. I guess she just did not connect the dots on that. And she can't take an extra 15 seconds to walk five feet to a stall instead of making this person's life more difficult. This is a quote from Julia Burka. 
I do change multiple times in front of the other students in the locker room, Berka said. I understand that the board has an obligation to all students, but I was hoping that they would go about this in a different way that would also accommodate students such as myself. How do you want to be accommodated? How, how could people accommodate you better? Why don't we give you a different stall where you can just go and be alone in it? Would that make you feel better? When you turn all intimate spaces co-ed, that's egregious, said Vicki Wilson, co-founder of the local group Students and Parents for Privacy, an organization that's been fighting attempts to enact this policy since the Obama administration. The policy, which Wilson calls a joke and a slap in the face, also fails to address the inadequate number of private stalls for students like Burka to use. Students and Parents for Privacy urged concerned community members not to give up on the fight. Interesting. So there's an inadequate number of private stalls for students like Burka to use. I would be in favor of increasing those private stalls. If somebody doesn't like changing in front of somebody else, they, don't, they shouldn't have to. Just go to a private stall and use it. Or wait 20 minutes until everybody else is already done changing and then go. I don't understand what the hang-up is here. I don't get why this is such a contentious... Like, this girl's acting like she's got PTSD over this or something. It's, it's, it's outrageous. I just do not get this debate. First off, coming from uh, Shauna Luhu, what would you say the difference between shutting, shunning and cutting out toxic people from your life is? That's a really good and valid question. I actually talked about this in one of my videos fairly recently, and I saw a lot of comments from people in my recent video about shunning that I did about how I'm, I'm 100% against shunning in all cases. Okay, here's the thing about shunning. If somebody is being outright like harmful to you directly, like if they're being abusive in some way, they are de facto ending the relationship by acting in an abusive way. Like if they're, you know, if you're gay, for example, and they're telling you that your lifestyle's wrong and that you're evil and that you're wrong and everything you do is wrong and... They're just outright making your life miserable. You have no obligation to maintain a relationship that's obviously basically non-existent in the first place. It, you don't have to maintain a relationship with somebody who is making your life a living hell. There's a distinct difference between that and not talking to somebody or not interacting or cutting them out of your life because of some belief that they hold and that's it. For example, I talk to Trump supporters all the time. Now, indirectly, Trump supporters do affect my life and my belief system and things. You know, by supporting Trump, by default, in a lot of ways, you're contributing to a harmful system. I don't think that that's, that's not enough for me to warrant cutting somebody out of my life. If they are making your life miserable directly and harming you in some direct way, you have no obligation to maintain the relationship. I'll say that. I wouldn't even call that shunning at that point. Call it protecting yourself. So, And like I said, I did a video on this, a whole video recently. I'll put it in the description of this podcast and the clip that goes on YouTube. So give it a look if you guys want to hear more about this from me. This one's coming from Glenn. What are you doing for Thanksgiving, and do you talk politics at the dinner table? Interestingly enough, all of my family members, that, all of Kylie's family members who have basically adopted me, Kylie's mom's family, 
they almost all agree with me on politics. Like, we are all on the same page. I call her my grandmother because she's basically taken me in. You know, like, I lived in her house when I was kicked out and everything. She, she bought me clothes when my mom was no longer talking to me and gave me a ride to school and shit. So she is my grandmother for all intents and purposes. My mother, even. But anyway, her name is Sue. And she is a lifelong Democrat. Like, she is just hardline Democrat. Democratic Party all the way. Which has its upsides and its downsides. She falls for a lot of propaganda, for lack of a better term. She is, at this moment, I think an Elizabeth Warren supporter. But she was a Hillary Clinton supporter for a while. Either way, it's better than being a Trump supporter. And we can find common ground, a lot of it. So I've never had an issue talking politics with somebody, ever, really. Not, not with her, not with anybody in the family. But for this Thanksgiving, actually, I'm going with my girlfriend to see her family in Nebraska. And so her family's mostly on the same page, too. There's some variation, but I kind of fall into the cult deprogramming mode when I talk politics, where it's kind of a Socratic reasoning style conversation where I'm just asking probing questions non-confrontationally, like I'm interested, like I want to learn and I want to know. Like they have knowledge that I don't have and I want it. That keeps their guard down. And then I start asking some questions that kind of maybe poke a couple of holes in their ideologies in non-confrontational ways. So that's kind of the approach I take with conversations on politics. I don't think I've ever been in a fight over politics before because I'm so non-confrontational about it. Uh, this one is from Fum Duck. How do we stop destructive cults from isolating people from the real world? That's really complicated. Um, one of the ways one of the key ways that destructive cults use to keep people indoctrinated is discouraging access to outside sources of information and i'm going to use this as an example I'll, all right i'll give you two examples of this okay jehovah's witnesses will discourage use of social media say that social media uh, is addictive and it's a bad thing and you can, it's, it's just like using drugs in some ways because your brain gets addicted to it and you get involved in a bad crowd that way and all of that other stuff and they discourage use of the internet at all and they just keep escalating and escalating until they just want you to use only jw.org and things like that. It's kind of difficult to prevent people from using the internet entirely in this day and age so they just discourage certain websites mostly but they really lay down hard on the whole only use it for what you need kind of thing so that's my first example of discouraging access to outside sources of information they're okay with you using jw.org their website they don't want you using any other websites really uh, certainly not any apostate website. JWFacts.com, strictly banned. If a Jehovah's Witness finds that in your browser history, there will be a judicial committee and you could have the rug pulled out from under you and be disfellowshipped for it. It's possible. So they take it really seriously. Here's, here's example number two. 
I know people aren't going to like this one, but you know what? This is a political channel to some extent. I talk about my political views, so I'm going to say this one too. Uh, Trump saying fake news all the time. Like anytime there's an article that he doesn't like, he says fake news about it. That's an example of discouraging access to outside sources of information. If a, if a news agency doesn't say something that's positive about him or, or doesn't basically kiss his ass, then he will turn his entire supporter base against it. You know, CNN, NBC, ABC, whoever it happens to be. Right now, Fox News has been sucking up to him pretty hard anyways. So they've mostly been in the clear for, from this, but yeah. Uh, this one coming from Seabird. What is your favorite Thanksgiving food? I absolutely love turkey. I would, I would kill a man for turkey. I mean, I would stab somebody in the chest for just a small piece of turkey. I love turkey and stuffing. But I, I would do it just for the turkey alone. No stuffing. Uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, um, yeah, I guess turkey would be my answer. <laughs> Uh, this one's coming from your local ginger. What's your issue with Trump, Trump politics, or Trump supporters? And why do you think so few agree with atheists slash gay rights? Okay, can you read it one more time for me? What's your issue with Trump, Trump supporters, and why do you think so few agree with atheists and gay rights? Somebody else asked me a question just now in the chat, too, and I'm going to package those two questions together. Do you think all Republicans are bad? I am a Republican myself, but I don't believe anything Trump says. Um, no, I don't think all Republicans are bad. I don't think all Trump supporters are bad. I don't think any Trump supporters are bad, really. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but there are bad Bernie supporters. There are bad everybody supporters. I don't think you're inherently bad for being a Trump supporter. And I don't think you're inherently bad for being Republican either. Or right wing. I feel like what I said a minute ago was probably, uh, I should clarify on that one. When I was a Jehovah's Witness, there were certain standards that we had to follow. First of all, women are not allowed to teach or have any kind of place in the teaching process, really. They, there were some certain specific exceptions to that. But generally, Women aren't allowed to have a place in the process. You can't handle the microphones or the sound system. You, basically, your only place as a woman is to hold a mop. You can't, there are absolutely no, no gays allowed in Jehovah's Witnesses. If you are gay, then either stop it or get out. That's pretty much their position on it. There are a lot of, like, quote-unquote social justice issues that are just thrown out completely as a Jehovah's Witness. It's a problem. You know, if you're, it, you, will, you are not trans as a Jehovah's Witness, period. I don't care if you say you are, you're just not. That's, that's their position. So when I left religion, when I left Jehovah's Witnesses, I discovered that a lot of those same mindsets that, that Jehovah's Witnesses have are the same mindsets that you get with other evangelical extremist kind of Christian religions, and even Islamic, just general extremist religions kind of view things that way. In large part, the Republican Party is made up of those people, of the evangelical Christians, of the extremists. Now, I'm not talking about conservatives here. I'm talking about the Republican Party specifically and 
Trump supporters specifically, a lot of the time you find this general trend where this is like the, this is the mindset that you find behind these two groups of people. Obviously, there are exceptions. This is not a black and white issue. There is almost no issue is black and white when when it boils down to it. There's nuance or there should be nuance in everything. So don't think that I'm calling out every Republican. I'll never, you know, talk to or deal with them or every Trump supporter. They're all this way or that way. It's it's not like that. Like I said, my brother is conservative. I have friends who are Trump supporters have no issues with people like that. But I've found that as a general trend, a lot of the time, what you'll find is if the if they identify as this thing, then a lot of the time, this kind of profile comes with it. And it's a profile that I found in Jehovah's Witnesses and Pentecostals and Evangelicals, Dominionists, uh, so on and so forth. So, no, I don't have an issue with Republicans or conservatives or Trump supporters. I just noticed that this is something that you can kind of expect from a lot of the people. Generalizing isn't okay. So every time I go into a conversation with somebody, if they tell me they're a Trump supporter, if they tell me they're a Republican, I'm not going to assume this stuff about them on a one-to-one basis. Uh, statistically, you, you can look at the statistics and see that these, you know, if you're in this group, then you probably feel this way. If you're in this group, you probably feel that way. But on an individual basis, I don't, I don't go into any conversation with any assumptions. That's really how it should be done. That's how it's done in debate format. You always want to define your terms. You don't ever want to straw man your opponent's position or any of that stuff. You want to make sure you're all on the same page if you want to get down to the truth. If you're looking for the, the, the truth of the matter, make sure you're all on the same page. Uh, this next question coming from a cringy trap. Would you rather be friends and eat with a Jehovah's Witness or a Latter-day Saint? Would I rather be friends with... Okay, would I rather be friends and eat with a Jehovah's Witness or a Latter-day Saint? Was that it? Uh, both. I would love to be friends with both. I think that would be great. Problem is that Jehovah's Witnesses won't be friends with me. They won't even talk to me. So <laughs> that one's out. I guess the Latter-day Saint. Like I said, I'm willing to be friends with it everybody i don't care what you believe i'm willing to be friends with you and we'll work it out and I'll, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation and we will feel each other's positions out and figure this out together and i'll you know we'll find common ground and figure out where or how we can get along that's that's part of my deprogramming techniques and that's just how i do it like I said, I've never argued with anybody over politics as far as I can remember. I wanted to take a look at this article. It's on NBCNews.com. It's NBC's website. The title of the article is Everything We Learned from the Trump Impeachment Hearings. So as a lot of you guys probably know, the impeachment hearings have been going on for like the past week or something, I think. And it's been really interesting. It's been fascinating. They've called in witnesses and had people testifying and everything else. So I wanted to give this article a read and see what kinds of things we're dealing with. Like, what, what do we have going on with the impeachment hearing right now? Is there any kind of legitimacy to it? So let's, let's just take a look through here. 
From Wednesday, November 13th to Thursday, November 21st, Americans were glued to their televisions, computers, and streaming devices as the House Intelligence Committee uh, held a series of long public hearings as part of a broader Democratic-led impeachment inquiry against President Donald Trump. Here are all the things we learned from two jam-packed weeks of public testimony. Bill Taylor, the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine, uh, kicked off the stretch of hearings with a revelation that one of his staffers overheard a phone call between Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, and Trump on July 26th, the day after the call between Trump and Ukrainian President uh, Vladimir Zelensky that prompted the impeachment inquiry. The staffer, later identified as David Holmes, a counselor for political affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine, heard Trump ask Sondland about the investigations, Taylor said, referring to probes into the Biden family and a conspiracy theory about the 2016 election. So that's, that's kind of where the impeachment stuff really took off this past week is with Bill Taylor testifying about a conversation that a staffer overheard between Sondland and Trump. I've been talking about the impeachment inquiry for a while here, um, but let me just give a little bit of background on this. Uh, for those of you who may not have been keeping up with this at all, the impeachment inquiry started because Donald Trump, this has been established at this point, Donald Trump told the president of Ukraine he wanted him to start an investigation into a political opponent of his, into Donald Trump's political opponent, and say something about it publicly, make a public statement about it. And if he didn't, he wouldn't get the $400 million of U.S. aid that Congress had already promised to him. And he actually held up that money and prevented it from going to Ukraine until the president made this announcement about the investigation. So that's where it started. Uh, there, those were originally all allegations. But since Bill Taylor kind of started flipping, since Bill Taylor started talking and telling the story, Sondland, who interestingly enough, was a high dollar donor of Donald Trump, and that's how he got his position, Sondland came out and testified against Trump and said, was there a quid pro quo? Was there bribery? Did Donald Trump bribe, try to bribe the Ukrainian president to start an, a, an investigation? Sondland said the answer is yes, there was a quid pro quo. That's a really big deal. That is like bigger than Watergate kind of big deal. <laughs> Whether you believe this stuff or not, which I do, I, we've had like, six or seven or eight people come out and testify that this is what happened. And these are firsthand testimonies. This is like, Donald Trump said this to me. And then the next guy comes in, Donald Trump said this to me. Uh, Rudy Giuliani said this, and he said he was doing this for Trump and all of this stuff. Whether that stuff is true or not, it needs to be investigated heavily. If it is true, which I believe it is, this is bigger than Watergate, I would say. Watergate was just where like the where Nixon got some people to break into the Watergate hotel and steal some documents. The cover up is really the big deal with Watergate. Like what Nixon did to try to cover up the whole thing. Like if he hadn't tried to cover it up and go to all the lengths that he went to, 
if he hadn't tried to go to all the lengths that he went to, Nixon, then it may not have gone down so terribly for him. But in this case, the action is worse than the Watergate scandal with Nixon. Like, the, the whole Trump impeachment thing, that's worse than Watergate, I would say. So, anyways, let's continue reading. Holmes provides more details. Holmes said he was left out of a July 26th meeting in Kiev between Sondland and uh, Yermak, a top aide to Zelensky. But it was after that meeting that Holmes joined Sondland and others for a fateful lunch in Kiev. Sondland dialed up Trump on his cell phone at the table, Holmes testified. He said he overheard President Trump ask, so he's going to do the investigation? And that Ambassador Sondland replied, he's going to do it and that Zelensky will do anything you ask him to. Holy shit. Volker becomes a quid pro quo believer. Kurt Volker, the former U.S. special envoy to Ukraine, also amended his testimony from his closed-door deposition, saying he now sees that others in the Trump administration sought an investigation into the Biden family and that they told Ukraine's government that millions in military aid depended on it. We followed the president's orders, quote-unquote, Sondland, in his testimony, directly pointed his finger at Trump, saying the president ordered that he, Volcker, and Energy Secretary Rick Perry work with his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, on Ukraine policy, even though they were uncomfortable with Giuliani's role and associations. Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volcker, and I worked with Mr. Rudy Giuliani on Ukraine matters at the express direction of the president of the United States, he said. The reason that People are speculating that Trump has had Giuliani involved in the first place at all is because no matter what happens, Trump believes that attorney-client privilege applies. So no matter what, Giuliani cannot be called to testify against Trump in any way. As it turns out, that only applies to criminal trials, not to impeachments. Impeachments are treated differently. Attorney-client privilege does not apply, it seems. That's how, it, that's how it's looking at this moment. A direct line to Trump. Sondland also confirmed he'd held the July 26th phone call that Taylor had revealed. Sondland, who already corrected his prior closed-door testimony once before, had not previously revealed the existence of the call. His confirmation of it revealed he had a direct line to Trump as others testified. Everyone was in the loop. In an explosive part of his opening statement, Sondland implicated Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, and several other top officials in those two agencies. Sondland said he'd made Pompeo and Bolton fully aware at every turn of what he, Volcker, and Perry were doing with regard to Ukraine policy at the direction of Giuliani and he brought the emails, including direct responses from Pompeo, to prove it. Mulvaney, a part of Irregular Channel. Taylor testified that White House Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney was part of the Irregular Shadow Communications Channel between Washington and Kiev that had sought a quid pro quo with Ukraine. It was sought bribery. That's what quid pro quo means, and I, I feel like we shouldn't be using the term quid pro quo. I think we should be using what it literally means in English— which is bribery. It translates to tit for tat, I think. T-I-T for T-A-T. And it basically means this thing for that thing. 
bribery. That's what it is. That's like the definition of bribery. So I feel like we should be calling it bribery, not quid pro quo, because that's a little bit like in the weeds and not everybody actually knows what that term means. So anyway, I'm going to start referring to it as bribery instead of quid pro quo. Taylor testified that White House Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney was part of the irregular shadow communications channel between Washington and Kiev that had sought bribery with Ukraine. That channel had already been known to include Giuliani, Sondland, Volker, and Perry. It's honestly, like, fascinating to me that Sondland flipped on Trump like that because he was like a high-dollar donor for him. I'm, I'm genuinely impressed by the guy, but you could see him at, like, the impeachment hearings... He was like all smiles, like it, like he wanted to be there. It was like he was, he wanted to be in the history books and now he is. It, that's kind of just the impression that I got from Sondland. But you know what? Whatever. As long as he's telling the truth, for better or worse, I don't care. As long as he's, he's getting the truth out. That's all I really care about. And then we've got this section called Witness Intimidation. Just moments after Marie Ivanovich, the ousted U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who, by the way, has been the ambassador to Ukraine, I think, or maybe just the ambassador to the EU. Anyways, she's been in the government since Ronald Reagan. I think Reagan even appointed her as ambassador to something. That's like 30-something years. That's like a really long time that she's been in the position. And she's trusted. She's nonpartisan. Like, or she's trusted across the aisle. And of course, Trump came in and started just destroying a reputation, which is really sad, honestly. Anyways, it says, Just moments after Marie Yovanovitch, the ousted U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, testified that she felt threatened after learning that Trump told Zelensky during their July 25th call that she was bad news and that she was going to go through some things. Trump tweeted more attacks on her, including everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. Destroying a reputation again. And by the way, reputation in this game, in, in the ambassadorship game, is everything. If you have a bad reputation, then the countries that you're working with aren't going to respect you at all. Asked in real time during the hearing about the president's tweets, Yovanovitch called them intimidating, very intimidating. So right now it's looking like... Uh, there are four or five articles of impeachment that could be written up against Trump... Uh, witness intimidation being one of them. Fox News has even been just like on every program practically been saying, Mr. Trump or President Trump, we know that this upsets you. Stay off of Twitter because you are actively, you could walk out of this in handcuffs for what you say on Twitter. <laughs> He's actively interfering in a, a government hearing right now. He's actively interfering with witnesses who are testifying against him. That is bad for him. So that's the first article of impeachment they could draw up. Also, since the impeachment hearings have started, there's information that's come to light about something in the Mueller report. Mueller discovered that a phone call had happened between Trump and somebody else. I don't really remember clearly. But Trump says that it never happened, or he said that he doesn't remember it happening, or something like that. And we have discovered now, without a shadow of a doubt, that it did in fact happen. And that means that there's a high chance that Trump was lying. 
I guess he could legitimately not remember the phone call, but anyways, they're saying that 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 is one of the articles of impeachment that they may write up on him. So right now they've got lying under oath for that one, and they've got witness intimidation. They've got the the bribery thing with Zelensky, uh, and there are a couple more that they were talking about. I don't remember what they were now. So these impeachment hearings, a lot of the questions have been asked on the Republican side by Devin Nunes. And I, th- I think he's a, a Republican senator. So this new news just broke, like yesterday or the day before. Devin Nunes was directly involved in the push for Biden-Ukraine investigations, says Lev Parnas. Brand new information, and this person is trying to testify against Nunes. So the person who's leading the hearings on the the Republican side is even involved in this whole situation, apparently, according to this person. So let's see what this article has to say. This is by Vox, uh, written by Sean Collins. Ed McMahon, a lawyer for Rudy Giuliani associate Lev Parnas, who faces charges of campaign finance violations, has told the Daily Beast that his client helped Republican Representative Devin Nunes arrange meetings meant to advance the Ukrainian investigations into the Biden family that are at the center of the ongoing impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. Now, another lawyer for Parnas, Joseph A. Bondi, has told CNN that Parnas is willing to testify before the House Intelligence Committee about Nunes' involvement in the Ukraine scandal. Nunes is the ranking member of that committee and in that capacity has led the Republican defense of Trump during the recent public impeachment inquiry hearings. Nunes has argued the impeachment inquiry is a partisan attack on the president. He tried to derail the proceedings by introducing disproved conspiracy theories, worked to out an anonymous whistleblower whose complaint launched the inquiry, and repeatedly, repeatedly referred to the inquiry as a drug deal. I just want to point something out here. Like, they are making this giant deal out of revealing who the whistleblower is. And first of all, it, the whistleblower only drew attention to the situation. Everybody involved past that is out in the open. Yovanovitch, Sondland, Bill Taylor, all of these people, like that whistleblower could just disappear tomorrow. And any piece of evidence that he provided, or she, any piece of evidence they provided could disappear tomorrow and it would be irrelevant because we have the testimonies of these people who were there, who Trump talked to, who Trump said these things to. So the the whistleblower's identity is so completely irrelevant to this situation. The only thing that revealing this person's name would do is put their life in danger or put them in danger. That's it. That is it. Never mind the fact that Trump said that being a whistleblower like that is close to treason and we used to do things differently with spies back in the day. I mean, he tweeted something like that out. That is absolutely absurd. They're making a big deal out of revealing the whistleblower's name. Whistleblower is so completely irrelevant. Does not matter who he is or she. Doesn't matter who they are. They could disappear tomorrow and it would not matter. We have more than enough evidence without them or what they provided to move forward with this whole thing. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Devin Nunes was implicated in this whole thing, so... 
here's where the hang up is. Here's where Trump failed with this whole situation. He had a dinner or something with Comey, remember, forever ago, and he said to Comey that he wanted people who were loyal. He wanted loyalty. It seems like he kind of followed in that path. Like, that's what he looked for. Every time he appointed somebody, every time he put somebody new in the cabinet or in the Supreme Court or in the whatever, he wanted to know that they were loyal to him. That's basically what it boiled down to. Unfortunately, there are tens of thousands of people in the government, and he did not replace all of them. He only replaced, uh, you know, like when Obama left the White House, all of his staffers left with him. Like, that's how it works. When you switch presidencies, Obama had to staff the White House when he took office. Bush had to staff the White House when he took office. Like, you have to staff the White House. And so Trump filled the White House, surrounded himself with his own people, as every president does. And he thought that that was enough to protect him from whatever. He thought that that was enough that everybody around him was going to be loyal. But there are like tens of thousands of government officials. There are like tons of military people and and ambassadors and all kinds of other people all over the place that he just didn't even think about because they've been there since Reagan's era. And now they're all coming out and testifying against him, like, you know, like Yovanovitch, for example. So anyway, um, honestly, I would, I would love to see this impeachment inquiry continue on and, and implicate anybody who was involved. I, just everybody. I want to just root the corruption out completely. Devin Nunes, if he actually was involved, as this article says, as these people are saying, I want him out of the government. I want him in prison. I've said this on my podcast. I've said this on my main channel before. Abuse of power is the most disgusting thing that you can do to me. In my eyes, if you abuse your authority, if you abuse your position, you are the lowest piece of shit. Just like I said about David Silverman sleeping with attendees of conferences that he was the president of, that he organized. You're the lowest piece of shit for doing things like that. So I want to see anybody who is actually involved in abuse of power or corruption in any form. I want to see them in handcuffs. I want to see them in prison. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I'm trying to make a shirt design for every cult I've covered. I haven't gotten every one, but I'm working on it. So check it out and see if your cult is up there. Second, you can support me by checking out my game shop. I sell controller, cartridge, and game box stands for every system from the original Nintendo and Sega Game Gear to the Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. So give that a look too. And finally, if you want to support me in some way other than monetarily, you can check out my other YouTube channels. I have a retro game channel where I answer questions like, why does Shy Guy have a mask? And why are CRT TVs the best way to play retro games? I also have the podcast where I talk about stuff I don't feel I can say on a monetized channel. And finally, 
I have my main channel, where I talk about cults. I wish I didn't have to worry about dancing around subjects carefully in the first place, but I chose to do this as a full-time job, so unfortunately, I rely on YouTube's AdSense and on the support of patrons to continue doing the work I do. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.